Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, David Morris has taught from this uh, chapter the last two weeks, and I, I don't know if you've been here, I was here for part of one of those last week, and then I slipped out and went over to Seeds. I wanted to hang out with the young ones, and I, just to be honest with you, I wanted to play dodgeball at church, okay? And I did. I did play dodgeball, and Cal made sure that he smacked me repeatedly in the face with the ball. Uh, in fact, all of the kids followed Cal's lead, and uh, in fact, uh, it became quite overwhelming to have every single ball that was represented in the room thrown at my face. And uh, it's exciting to have Pastor Adam in seeds. Uh, this was a whole new level. But I didn't get to enjoy this, these studies with you. And I have talked with David, and uh, we've rehearsed these paragraphs together beforehand and then afterward, and just um, encourage each other with what we find in this portion of the letter to Timothy. And I don't need to review, I know I don't need to review all the time, but I always feel compelled to set the table for us so that we rightly understand the paragraph that we're going to study this evening. It's not, it doesn't exist in isolation, and I never want you to think that it does. And so I want to go back and just draw your attention backward just a little bit this evening, and then we're only going to spend a little bit of time in just a couple of verses, and then we'll call it an evening. But I I want to bring your attention back to verse 1 of chapter 3, because really that's where Paul starts a new subject matter. Um, You'll remember that we concluded our study in chapter 2 looking at that that workman, that, that, that enduring minister of the gospel, right? That one who presses on, he... He stands firm in the, in the face of any persecution, in the face of shame. He doesn't buckle under the pressure. And he flees youthful lust and he runs after righteousness and he runs after God. And then we come to chapter 3 and it's as if Paul turns this corner and he's concerned that Timothy um, get a realistic perspective of what's in front of him. And realism is usually not pretty. And in this case, it certainly is not, because the realistic perspective is found in verse 1 of chapter 3, and it is a dark picture. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And So Paul launches into chapter 3 describing and explaining all that will come in the last days. That is, the final time. And we live in the final time, as did Timothy and as did Paul beginning with the ministry at Pentecost, the final days were inaugurated. That's Joel 2.28. That was the kickoff of the final days. We have not seen the day of the Lord, which will conclude these last days, and yet we exist now in these last days, in the last epoch, the last time period. And Paul describes this time as being littered with difficulty. And he tells him why. And, And boy, you talk about grocery lists, and I... I kind of laugh. David and I always laugh at what paragraph David's going to get. Um, If you don't know, he teaches every Sunday night, every fifth Sunday of the month on Sunday evening is scheduled. He teaches during that time unless for some reason we need to change it. And so we always laugh at those intervals because we look ahead and see what paragraph he's going to get. And he laughed when he saw that he got the paragraph that's got, what is it, 16 lists, uh, 16 items in a list describing the reason why the times are going to be difficult in the last days. The times are going to be difficult because of the cause. And the cause is wicked people. They're going to be lousy people in the last days. Wicked people. And verse 2 down through verse 9 describes those people. And boy, this is a, a daunting list to look at. 
We see so much remnant of our sinfulness when we look at lists like this, don't we? We start seeing things and go, wow, I see parts of my life represented in that list and I am not an enemy of the truth. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uh, lacking discipline without self-control, brutal, violent, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an external aspect of godliness but denying the inner power or its power. And then he concludes verse 5 by saying, avoid such people. Verses 2 through 9, keep going, talking about the creeping false teachers who creep and sneak into houses and lead away those who are weak, those who are easily swayed. And so these people are the cause of the difficult days. The contrast to these difficult days is found in verses 10 and 11 when we see the faithful believers. Paul says, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. In other words, Paul says, there's a contrast in the middle of these difficult times. The cause is wicked people, but the contrast is represented in people like the Apostle Paul. Faithful believers who stood fast and stood firm and suffered for the Gospel. In fact, that's the promise that comes. We see the the cause of the difficulty is wicked people. The contrast is faithful believers. And the consequence of these last days is found in verses 12 and 13, and it's a promise for us. Here's the consequence that is guaranteed for those believers who will be faithful in the last days. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, verse 12 says, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so there's this picture, this consequence of the last days. On one hand, those who are faithful and remain true to the gospel will suffer. They will be persecuted for that stand. And those who deceive and those who lead people astray will get stronger and stronger at their deception and their leading astray. This is the testimony that we could all give of the time in which we live right now. This is the era in which our Lord Jesus, in His sovereign plan, has launched Grace Church. Right in the smack dab in the middle of this. False teachers are getting stronger and stronger and going on from bad to worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And God's people can be guaranteed that the consequence of standing true for the Gospel will be persecution. Folks, I know we think of persecution in a comparative sense. So we look at persecution in another part of the world and we say, well, we're not being persecuted. The guarantee here is across cultures. So whatever the case is, this is not, this is not talking about government necessarily. This is not talking about widespread persecution. This is talking about the reality that if you stand for the pure gospel and if I stand for the pure gospel in these difficult last days... The inevitable consequence of that, the cause and effect relationship, will be persecution because the world hates what we stand for. And they they hate it universally. 
It's not a cultural issue. We might even have people smile at us and say, well, I'm glad you found something that works for you. I'm glad you have a belief system that makes you okay, that makes you feel good. And we think, wow, we're not suffering any persecution. The bottom line is, is if we persist in speaking the truth and in living the truth and in calling out the entire message of the gospel that those who are denying Christ, those who are opposed to Christ, who will not embrace Him, will suffer an eternal punishment. The message gets less and less fun to hear. And it gets less and less encouraging to have someone say such hard truths in your presence. And the world will persecute. That is the consequence in these last days and in these difficult times. That brings us then in this chapter to this last section of this this particular portion of Paul's writing. This particular idea or, or heading. And we find, we've seen the cause as wicked people, the contrast, our faithful believers, and the consequences, suffering as saints. And, and the last component really begins in verse 14, and we pick up where David left off, and it is the command that is given to us there that concludes this section. Not unfamiliar to Paul's writings, you and I have been spending a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul often gives us statements of fact followed by commands for our activity. Okay, he does this throughout his letters, and this is called, um, there's two fancy words for this, indicative and imperative. Indicative is a statement of fact, you English buffs out there. Your indicative sentence is, Adam is tall. Your imperative sentence is demanding activity. Adam, you must run. That's an imperative. How the two are connected, I don't know. But there's an indicative and an imperative, and in Paul's writing, he, he connects those for us flawlessly. So he says in the first part of this chapter, here's an indicative reality. It's going to be hard. The last days are going to be difficult. And here are the reasons. I'm going to explain it to you. There's a cause, and and, and there is a contrast. There is a difference that you can see, and there is a consequence that's going to come. All of that is indicative. It's informational items for Timothy, and indirectly for us here in the last days at Grace Church. And he follows up that information then with a clear command to us. So we're not left just going, wow, I'm glad we got the information. The information, right on the heels of that information comes verse 14 and comes a command for us. And the command is, continue. You continue. That's the command. Here we are in the last days. It's going to be difficult, and it is difficult, to be a believer who is faithful to the truth. And here's the command that Paul addresses to young Timothy, the minister of the gospel, and the ministry of the gospel for all those who are called in Christ is continue. Continue. Don't stop. Press on. All of us love to have instruction backed up with some how-to, right? I'll never forget the first time I was asked to wash a car. Maybe it wasn't the first time, but it's the first time I remember because of what happened. I was asked to wash a vehicle. And if I remember right, it was my papa who asked me to wash his vehicle. So I'm over at my papa's house, and, and I'm washing his, uh, <laughs> his uh, Chevy, whatever it was, his little car. And it's white, and it's nasty, and I've got to wash this thing. So I go out there, I get my bucket. He gives me the tools, at least. He says, here's the bucket and the sponge and whatever and the hose and the soap. So I go out there, and I start to wash this vehicle. Well, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm, I'm small at the time. I know that's relative, but I'm short at the time. And... Uh, 
So I get my bucket and my soap and I start to wash the car. Well, I just start where I naturally would start, and that is right at the door. I mean, I can, I can reach it, I can see it, so I just start washing the door. And so I wash the door and uh, the side panels, and then I hose them off. And uh, he comes out, and for some reason he's not pleased with the method that I've chosen in washing his vehicle. Because he's aware that what's about to happen is I'm going to go wash the top now, and all the dirt from the top is going to run down to the bottom. And so he says to me, you know, in very loving grandpa kind of terms, are you crazy? What are you doing? And that actually is more legitimate as to the way he talked to me. And uh, we've tried to root that out of my heart uh, as a way of talking to people. He says, are you crazy? You want to wash it from the top down. You want the dirt to be gone. You don't want it to keep running dirt over it. And if this is revolutionizing your car washing experience, I'm glad for that. Okay. Wash off the top, rinse it off, the dirt's gone. Now wash the next layer, wash it off. Now the dirt's down lower, go to the bottom. Then you have a clean car. And I'm going, whoa, and I, to this day, I am very informed in how I wash a vehicle, if I ever wash one. In fact, the way I wash vehicles is I drive over there to the gas station, I get gas, and then I drive around, and I put my coat in, and I hit pound, and then I drive in, and I let that thing wash my vehicle for me. My grandfather would give me a command, and then oftentimes he would leave me to myself to try to figure out the best way to accomplish that command. And nothing benefited me more than having him come and inform me of, of the steps that I could take, the how-to. And boy, when he did that, I felt empowered, I felt enabled, I knew what was expected, and I knew how to get it done. That's exactly what Paul does here for Timothy. He gives a command but he doesn't leave Timothy out there with this command. Continue. Be faithful. Don't stop. And, and then just period. And then just walk away. And, and Timothy, I hope you do a good job at staying faithful. Now Paul gives that command. And then he graciously and kindly, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he gives him the how-to. He actually gives him the steps. He helps him. He lays out for him what is expected. And that is such a benefit to us now, how many thousands of years later, as we study this letter, and we're still in the last days, and we're still in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is right now. This is as relevant as it gets. And we are called upon as ministers of the gospel. I am called on as a shepherd of the gospel in the local church to continue on to be faithful, to be steadfast. And we desperately need encouragement and how-to information. We need the safeguards that will help us and keep us on the right track. And so Paul gives us those safeguards. And God gives us those safeguards here at the end of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. That, I trust, sets us up for what we will find here. And we're going to find two safeguards that help us on this command of continuing in faithfulness to the Lord. Two safeguards, and you can write them down. We're not going to get to them in their entirety this evening, but we'll at least start our first one, and then we'll finish next week with the second. Number one safeguard for this command to continue is faithfulness is guarded by a spiritual heritage. Your faithfulness and my faithfulness, our continuation, if you will, is guarded by a spiritual heritage heritage all right he uses a certain set of of realities in timothy's life to give him a measure of confidence that he can in fact 
carry out this command that has been given to him. Paul says in verse 14, But as for you, which is similar to verse 10, he turns to a new subject matter, but as for you, Timothy, he gets very direct, um, as opposed to the evil people and imposters in verse 13, you must be different. You continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Okay, so in verse 14 we see that faithfulness is guarded by a spiritual heritage. And secondly, beginning in verse 15, and we'll carry it all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 17, faithfulness is not only guarded by a spiritual heritage, but it is also guarded by a settled bibliology. I couldn't come up with a better word. That is, that's the only word I come up with. Bibliology is a lot of I's and O's. Bibliology, a settled bibliology, that is your theology of the Bible. That's what that means. Okay? So what you believe about the Bible will guard you in this command to continue. And this is why this portion is so familiar, because of these sections about the Word of God. So, first of all, a, a spiritual heritage guards us, in verse 14. And secondly then, the second how-to, the second characteristic of this continuation of faithfulness in ministry to the gospel second guard is the settled bibliology or a confirmed belief about the Bible. I mean, it seems pretty basic. But if you and I are going to actually obey this command to continue, we must have an eye to our spiritual heritage, to the passing on of the apostolic message to us today, and we must also have an eye to a careful theology of the Bible. We must know what the Bible is, where it comes from, what it intends in its, in its deliverance to us, and its preservation for us. What did God intend for us to glean from it? What is it a, its effect on our lives? All of those things are the components of a settled bibliology. Alright? Let's begin then in verse 14. And let's look first and only tonight for a few moments at this spiritual heritage that guards young Timothy. Verse 14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He tells him to continue, and then he specifies, before he, he jumps into any kind of um, how-to advice, he, he specifies what it is that Timothy is to continue in in verse 14. It is what he has learned and what he has firmly believed. Two sides of the same coin. Basically what Paul says is, you, Timothy, don't be like the imposters and the evil people who go from bad to worse. You go from strong to stronger. You continue in the doctrine that you have learned, the theology that you have believed, the core of who you are as a minister of the gospel. Don't err from that. And, and Paul says elsewhere to Timothy, look at me. And so Paul's saying, the theology that we embrace, Timothy, don't stop. Continue in this faithful doctrine. He was to continue in what he had learned and believed. Doctrine was to be placed, the place of safety for young Timothy in the last days. There's a natural implication right here before we even jump into this spiritual heritage. And that is that Timothy was to press on in active faithfulness as a minister and never to fold to the pressures of the last days and its evil people. So here's 
here's what's before you with this command to continue. You have to remember all that came before this in chapter 3. Because all of those people and their worldview and their world system is opposed to you. And you must continue. You must hold on. You must remain steadfast in the face of that opposition. Those people in verses 2 through 9. Now, the guardianship is the spiritual heritage, and that comes with the little participle at the end of verse 14, knowing, knowing from whom you learned it. So now he's going to describe or he's going to further uh, inform Timothy with this command of a how-to. What is the basis for this continuation, knowing from whom you learned it? And he goes on in verse 15 to say, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And so he calls Timothy to to the knowledge that Timothy has of his spiritual heritage. And he directly connects that to the faithfulness of Timothy's ministry. And, and I think it is safe for us to directly connect our spiritual heritage in the truth. To connect that to the faithfulness that we desire for the sake of the gospel. Those two things are related. They are intertwined. Where you come from spiritually is important to where you will go spiritually. If you lose sight of where you come from, you will no doubt waver in where you are going. Growing up in uh, a very tight family nucleus like I did, um, I was often reminded as I left the house, you are not going out on your own tonight. Or today, you are leaving here with my name attached to you. And your grandfather's name attached to you. Remember who you are. You're going out today and you're a Bailey. And that means something. And that must continue to mean something. And Paul here says to Timothy, Timothy, remember. Remember where you come from. Don't forget And you say, well, where did Timothy come from? Do you remember? In chapter 1, verse 5, do you remember? His faithful mom and his faithful grandma taught him the Word of God. They were no doubt champions of the faith. There's no mention of Timothy's father. There's no mention of his grandfather. And yet these two ladies, these two uh, strongholds in his family taught him the Gospel. And who else was a part of his spiritual heritage than the Apostle Paul? So Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to continue and you need to be grounded in your continuation upon the the knowledge of where you come from spiritually. And where you come from spiritually is the transformed lives of your family members who loved you and shared the truth with you from the time you were old enough to hear it. And from the transformed life of me, the Apostle Paul, in my ministry to you as a young man. Timothy was to gain an amazing amount of confidence and courage from this guardianship of his spiritual heritage. Here he is facing the last times, facing difficult days, and Paul says, you're going to be okay, continue on, that's the command. On what power, on what basis, how do I do it, knowing from whom you learned it, that is, the whole of the doctrine of the truth of the gospel. Okay? I'd love to hear your spiritual heritage. I'd love to hear 
where you come from spiritually. All of us can trace our spiritual heritage back to our copy of Scripture and to the truths that are found here. But God has used people. He has used sinful people that have been transformed to communicate that message to you. And those people are to stand in your memory as cheerleaders shouting on as you continue faithful to the Gospel. This is the same testimony we find in the book of Hebrews talking about the great cloud of witnesses. It's this, it's this amazing mass of people who have died for the Gospel who give us courage. They stand and line the way we sang this morning. This is the spiritual heritage that guards us in this pursuit of faithfulness, of continuing in the purity of the Gospel. The heroes of the faith that have gone on before us and passed the message of the gospel on to us are to stand as an encouragement for faithfulness. They should bolster our resolve to press on for the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what we see in these last days. Okay? That is the first guard. It's the first safeguard. It's the first how-to. It's the first basis for this command to be obeyed, to continue in what we have learned and what we have believed, firmly believed. The second one is found in verses 15 through 17, and we'll come back to that next Sunday evening and spend a little bit more time talking about the guardianship of a settled bibliology and what a critical issue that is for us as God's people and as the church here gathered locally at Grace Church. I would encourage you, just practically speaking, even if you're taking notes, to jot down that you would actually pursue a meditation about how God brought the gospel to you and the lives that he used, the people that stood firm and actually shared boldly the truth with you, that you might be renewed in your resolve to be faithful to that gospel message. It's so different for all of us. And some of you have smiles on your face because you're thinking about those people. And rightly so. What a heritage we have. What a heritage Timothy had. And that was to be... A, a, a foundation for his obedience to this command for the final days to continue faithful in what he had learned and what he had placed his confidence and his belief in from the Word of God.